Welcome back to the 411 Podcasting Network. I am your host, Larry Zonka, and this is episode 53 of the 411 on Wrestling Podcast. You can follow us on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, YouTube, and of course the 411mania.com website. Uh, Please make sure to subscribe and share the show around on social media. Leave us a five-star review if you have time, and thank you for your continued support of the show. Joining me today, as always, is my co-host, Jeremy Lambert. Jeremy, how are you tonight? I'm well, Larry. How are you? I'm pretty good. I had a pretty relaxing day for once. I had a little, went out to Japanese dinner with the family, had a lovely American dream roll, and I'm pretty happy right now, so relaxed for once. Did you watch the Steelers game? Fuck no. (laughs) The NFL season hasn't started yet. (laughs) I refuse to believe it. Uh, Yeah, I felt that way until today when my team actually won. But I know where you're coming from. Yeah, it's uh, what what a horrible mess for my team this year. Yeah, it's it's not good. But oh well, I don't know. No, I I watched a little bit of football in the afternoon while I took a nap and stuff like that. It's just uh, it is what it is, man. Can't have good seasons all the time. I've been spoiled largely through my life as a Steelers fan, so. It happens. Every team's got to go through that down phase. Unless you're the Patriots, I guess. Yeah, I guess, yeah. <laughs> Fuck those guys. Yeah. So. That's a fair assessment, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, so uh, it, is, uh, it is time again to talk about the wrestling, Jeremy. we got tons of stuff to talk about, as always. Some fun stuff, and uh, I think we'll have a good time, as always. We're going to start off with some New Japan Pro Wrestling here. Had the Destruction in Kobe event. And uh, we started off with uh, Tag Team Ashen, Nagata, Suji, Uemura, defeating Nakanishi, Coglin, and Michael Richards in your perfectly solid dad take, dads take your kids to work opener. Yep. It was your, as you said, typical dads and young lions match. Nothing out of the ordinary, but did what it needed to do. Yeah. I like the debate that Kevin Kelly and uh, who's the uh, the co um, Gino Gambino yeah. had the debate on how to say Coughlin's last name. Is it Coughlin or Coughlin? Yes, they spent a fair amount of time on that. It was pretty funny. Yeah. So uh, then we uh, kicked into the Young Lions Cup final two matches. Clark Connors defeated your boy Ren Narita at 7:25 via submission. Uh, they had a good match. Um, obviously, Ren Narita's been really good for a while now. Clark Connors has also shown that he's really good. Future's bright for both guys, and uh, that took Narita out of the running for the Young Lions Cup. Once they had the order set and Shooter and Fredericks were, was the second match, you knew it was going to come down to that. So not too surprising that Narita ended up dropping this match. It's a terrible call. He should have won the entire thing, but what can you do? Yeah. So the next match was for the whole Young Lions Cup winner take all. L.A. Dojo line, Carl Fredericks defeated Shooter Umino in uh, 7.30 via submission. Another good match. Uh, Fredericks, Fredericks was one of the favorites heading in, but uh, a somewhat surprising win over Shooter Umino because I think a lot of people felt that he and Narita were the big favorites. But uh, I think it's a fine joy- choice for a winner because it uh, you solidify the L.A. Dojo, you give it a little bit of a respectability right off, and Carl Fredericks has been good. He definitely has a good look, good size, and he's somebody that I can see them doing a lot with in the future. 
I think going with Shooter was the obvious thing, and they kind of wanted to almost stay away from that because Shooter, he doesn't need this Young Lions Cup. Like It's a cool accolade, but... The guy's teaming with John Moxley uh, throughout the summer. Like he's he's pretty made at this point. So you give it to Fredericks, as you said, it helps establish that LA Dojo um, into a more viable, like on the same level as the the New Japan Dojo. So it gives that a, a prestige boost a little bit. Overall, I, I was fine with this call, and the match was fine. Yeah, so no no problem with it. So we moved into our undercard tags. Uh, the Bullet Club team of Bad Luck Fella, Yijiro Takahashi, and Chase Owens defeated Makabe, Hanma, and Hanar. Uh, 8 minutes and 20 seconds via pin. It wasn't good. It moved at a glacial pace. Felt like it aged me 10 years. Makabe actually did take a bump in this, though, so credit to him. I watched this match this morning, and I don't remember anything about it. Uh, that's probably good, because it would scar you if you did. <laughs> Uh, I, I just remember them talking about, oh, who's going to be teams for World Tag League and, and Super Junior Tag League. That's all I remember about oh, this Oh, they match. started talking World Tag League, and I started to die a little bit. <laughs> so, oh, that's, that's such a schlog to get through. Uh, so we were supposed to move on to tag team action. Tanahashi, Liger, Tiger Mask, and Rocky Romero facing off against Zack Sabre Jr., Minoru Suzuki, Kenamara, and Doki. And, uh... We did not get a match, Jeremy. We got one of the coolest fucking angles of the year instead. Because after months of Suzuki and Liger battling and brawling and Suzuki being a complete asshole and unmasking Liger and attacking him before matches and after matches, Jushin Liger had enough. Suzuki's making his entrance. Everybody's rocking to Kazanina Ray. Liger attacks, starts beating his ass. Everybody from the team starts slowly coming out. We get the big brawl. Suzuki ends up getting a table, hits Liger with a chair shot to the head. and I'm waiting for all the chair shot truthers to come out on that one, but nobody said anything. Everybody had to rake Sean Spears over the fucking coals, but Suzuki does a chair shot and everybody's like, no, nah, it's fine. That was weird. I mean, I, I agree. I figured we would talk about it, but I didn't see anything about this online, on Twitter, and it's probably because... More people were watching AEW at least live, but it was, and I guess it's because it's just it's part of the Japanese culture. It's just like, all right, it's fine. The same thing with like Ibushi and Naito and all these guys, and even Kenta like getting dropped on their head, and it's like, okay, this is cool. It's it's Japan, but I didn't care for that chair shot. It was clearly gimmicked. Like the the chair broke, but the the AEW chair was gimmicked as well. Spears just fucked it up because he cut Cody in the back of the head with the uh, the headrest on the chair. So it was clearly a gimmick chair, which fine, but just don't do that shit. Like just stay away from that. And Liger didn't get his hands up to protect himself, and eh, unnecessary. Yeah, but I was waiting for all the chair shot truthers to come out, and probably because it was such an early show, because it did start at 3 a.m. Eastern time, but. And more people watching AEW Live, like you said. But yeah, I was, I was waiting for that one. But yeah, it was uh, it was weird. So anyway, they, they brawl into the ring. Liger's trying to ch- uh, fight off Suzuki. Suzuki starts choking him off. And Liger low blows him. And this was after Suzuki tried to remove his mask. And this is when shit got real, Jeremy. Because Liger awesome. decides. He goes, alright, fucker, you want to rip off my mask? He takes off his mask, Jeremy. And he reveals that he is Keishan fucking Liger again. 
with the face paint. He starts ripping off his top, and my man Liger at age 54 is in really good fucking shape still. Looked awesome, and he was fired the fuck up. Starts beating on Suzuki. He misses him and the referee. Lays him against the table, grabs a spike, and tries to end this man's life. Suzuki ends up escaping as Liger charges him. He sticks the spike through the table, which looked so awesome. And uh, Suzuki was basically cowering away on his ass, trying to get the hell out of there. Looking afraid for the first time in this feud. Kishin fucking Liger. It was awesome. For those of you that don't know... This goes back to 1996, ironically enough, I guess, in Kobe, uh, when Liger was feuding with the Great Muda, and uh, Kishin Liger is, I guess to make a modern comparison, he's kind of like the demon version of Jishin Liger, like when shit gets real, he will break out Kishin Liger, and this is, I believe, like the third time he's done it in his career. It's so, the fourth. What? It's the fourth. Is it the fourth? Yeah. Okay. Um, I knew it was I, not it was... many. Yeah, it was it was um, ninety six with Muda. I think two thousand two. I, I wrote about it earlier today, but two thousand two, somewhere in that range. Um, and I, I forget who it was, but it was somebody who's like no longer really wrestling. And then he did it again with Tai Chi in like two thousand sixteen, two thousand something like that. So yeah, it's it's a fourth time overall. And I'll actually double check all this to make sure I'm correct on what the information I'm giving. But I know it's the fourth time overall. Okay, fair enough. But still. Something rarely used, so it's uh, the demon version of the Beast God, Thunder Liger, and it um, it looked great, um, got over big, and uh, again, this feud has been fucking so cool. Jeremy, I'm so ready for this match. Okay, so here's what it is. 96 against Muda, 2006 against Bad Boy Hidu, and 2012 against Tai Chi. Those were the three other times he broke out Kishin Liger prior to Sunday against Suzuki. And yeah, this angle was awesome. And I, I looked it up. Like, essentially, Kishin is when you go into a different form to devour souls. That That's what this is in, in manga terms. And manga is like Japanese uh, comic stuff. Um, my wife could probably better explain this and more apt fans could better explain this but that's the the simple version for for those out there so yeah this this angle ruled suzuki even made mention of this last week when he ripped off liger's mask he even said like you know i want the real liger yeah the the guy is just a a bastard under a mask like i I want the real thing and he fucking got him and liger came up as kishin liger and was ready to kill this man with the spike. That was an awesome visual, the spike going through the table. I really like that spot because if Suzuki's just in the corner and he does it and he misses, okay, he just missed. But because it was the table there and you saw the spike go through the table, it just it left a more lasting impression um, as a visual aid there. So I really like that. The whole angle was awesome. Liger felt the need to go into this bag because he had to, you know, this is how you combat Minoru Suzuki. And Suzuki played this really well, like, oh, fuck, like, what did I get myself into? So, yeah, this angle ruled. I've seen people compare it to Demon Balor, and I understand, like, it's it's sort of the the best modern comparison you can throw out there. At the same time, 
Demon Balor ain't got shit on this because this is the Demon fourth... Balor's just a fucking entrance compared to this, man. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Like this is the fourth time he's broken this out in like a 30 year career. And Demon Balor just kind of and he, he's had a reason for it every single time. Like he's been pushed to it. Demon Balor gets broken out because it's WrestleMania and he wants to face Bobby Lashley. And the Saudi like, Arabians I... pay for it. Right. So yeah, this this angle ruled. I cannot wait for this match. I know they can't save it until the Tokyo Dome. I guess they could. It feels like such a Tokyo Dome match, though. It feels like this should be Liger's. I mean, Tokyo Dome is two nights. You, you do this night one, and then night two, you you do whatever Liger, whatever the hell Liger wants for his his final match. But this angle just has so much behind it that it just feels like a big Wrestle Kingdom match. It does. It's um. It's been awesome, and I just I've enjoyed it. Like I said, just. From the basic brawling they do during the matches to the pre-match, the post-match stuff, and like I said on the on like the Road Two tour, they did that awesome angle where Suzuki attacked him when he was on commentary, and then on the uh, earlier in the Destruction tour here where um, they did the angle where he ripped off his mask and he was like celebrating in the corner with Liger's mask in his mouth, and just it's all been done so well, and Suzuki has been just slowly egging him on trying to, like you said, you know, bring out the real Liger and, uh, be careful what you wish for brother. Cause he got it. And it was awesome. So excited. I'm, I'm pumped for this. Like this show needed something overall. Cause we'll, we'll talk about the rest of it. This was my biggest takeaway from this show is Keishan Liger. Like nothing else seemed to matter to me. Yeah, oh no, it was awesome. It was easy. It was great. There was one match I really, really liked on this show, and then there was this angle, and yeah. it was just so great. But yeah, it's a, I and I, I had to use the image as my header image for the review because it was just not going to get many more opportunities to do stuff like that, you know? Right. Yeah. The this angle ruled. Cannot wait for this match. Um, I, I assume I, I hope they don't put it on King of Pro Wrestling, honestly, because that's a pretty stacked card as it is. Like you can headline with Liger and Suzuki. It's a headlining match. That's how good it is. If you're not gonna put it on the Tokyo Dome, it's obviously not gonna headline the Tokyo Dome. But if you're not gonna headline or if you're not gonna put it on the, the Wrestle Kingdom shows, you, you can headline a show with this match. Yeah, and I just I love I love the fact that in like 2019 I am still getting pumped the fuck up for Jushin Lager. It is just like so cool because you know Lager like early on in my tape trading stuff is like Lager was one of those dudes cuz like Mood was kind of like the gateway cuz he worked the NWA on TV and everything. And then when I got into the tape trading all I heard about was like you know Lager was one of the guys I heard about early on. And then, like, it was like, you know, you see Liger early on, you're just like, Jesus Christ, it was, like, so cool. And the fact that, like, in, like later on in his career, like, he's had, like, you know, bangers with Kushida and Ishimori and stuff like that. And he's just, he's having one of the best fucking angles and feeds in all of wrestling in 2019 on his way out. It's just so, it's so awesome. I love it. It's been a hell of a year for him, and he said it in an interview, like he'd rather walk away now before he gets too old, and fans are like, eh, why is this guy still around? Then, I mean, he's going out with a bang. He clearly, we want more from him, even though this is his last year. It doesn't feel like this is a guy who should be walking away because he's doing some of the best work of his career right now, at least in terms of, of storytelling. Like, you're right, this angle 
has been one of the best angles uh, in the entire sport in in 2019 it features two 50 year old dudes i know and i just i love the fact that like my man is still in really good shape too because like when he ripped that shirt off man i was like damn i was like he's like 54 man and like you don't necessarily think he's in great shape because he's always wearing that bodysuit and it's like every once in a while he reminds you he's like hey man he's like i may be a 50 year old bald brother but i'm still good i'm still good looking i work out so, but yeah, it's just, I, oh, it was, it was so good. Definitely, I, definitely the highlight of the show and tour for me just cause it was cool. And I was, I've, I saw people speculate on it, man, but like, I wasn't sure what we're getting. Cause it's like, it's his last year. You don't know what he's going to want to pull out. He might just want to stay the course. I was thinking we might get like black lager or something, but hell no, man. I mean, turn, turn it up to a hundred brother. We're, we're good to go. So yeah, definitely love it. So we uh then we we came back down to earth back into tag team action Jeremy. We couldn't have Keishan Liger all night long unfortunately. But she uh, just came out and wrecked everybody for the rest of the night. <laughs> okay, well that would have been great, but we can't have that. Anyway, uh Big Tom, uh Yoshihashi, Will Ospreay show and Yo defeated Kenta, the Girls of Destiny, Ishimori and El Fantasma when Yo once again cradled Tangaloa for the win. Uh, started slow. I thought it ended up pretty good. And 3K picking up another win over the tag team champions. Again, welcome to Surprise to hopefully get them in the tag mix and hopefully start just mixing and maybe just getting the damn tag team division in the one because when you look at it, obviously they always have to bring in tag teams for the junior tag league coming up. And then you have world tag league coming up, which they're going to have to use junior tag teams because they lost over half the tag teams from last year's field. So they just need to fucking unify the belts and the divisions. World Tag League is going to be Corrells of Destiny against Evil and Sonata in the finals. Don't even. That's do what it's that. been for like five straight years, I feel like. Um, yeah, they they need to unify these tag, tag divisions because there's they haven't put enough into the the two respective divisions. So... I mean, really, the, the tag team division for the heavyweight is Gorilla's Destiny and Evil and Sonata. And Evil and Sonata aren't even, like, teaming and, and caring about the, the tag division right now. They're doing singles runs. So it's literally Gorilla's of Destiny. And they're so starred for challengers. They're, they're bringing in Rapongi, which I'm fine with. I love Rapongi. And then Super, Jun- Super uh, Junior, at least it's a little bit better because you have Osprey and, and Eagles down there. But even... Osprey is like he's a super junior champion, but even he is, um, you know, kind of more a heavyweight guy now. So just combine the tag divisions, just have one tag division. Like, I don't know, you know, IWGP tag team doesn't have to be heavyweight, just IWGP tag team titles, unify those titles and add some depth to those divisions because they suck right now. Yeah, and this is something, this is not like a new thing anybody's talking about. I've talked about it. I know the guys of Voices of Wrestling have talked about it for the past... We've talked about it for the past few years. It's just like the tag divisions are too thin. They don't put enough time into either one to make you really care about them. There are good tag teams. Just make it one damn division and go from there. Trust me, it'll be for the better. But yep. I do like Yo picking up the win again. I thought that was good. Unfortunately, he got his ass handed to him after the match for winning. They hating my man Yo and Show. 
They do. They they were not fans. But that's okay. He got the winner's purse, Jeremy. He's going out to party. That's true. Uh, moving on, Sonata, Evil, and Bushi defeated Okada, Ibushi, and Robbie Eagles uh, just under 14 minutes via submission when uh, Sonata got skull end on poor Robbie Eagles. Um, this was more of the build to Okada and Sonata as well as Evil versus Ibushi for King of Pro Wrestling. I thought it was a really good match. Everybody played their role well, and it was pretty much what I expected from this six-man tag. Yeah, Sonata getting the win makes sense. Um, Eagles and Bushi, when you see them in this match, you know one of them is is taking the the fall here, their submission here. And Sonata, he's got the big title match coming up, so him getting a win here, certainly against Okada's team, certainly makes a lot of sense. It was, it did its job as a multi-man tag match, as they these matches tend to do. Exactly. So, uh, and they got into a little, uh, little, little shoving match post match. The four guys involved in the upcoming matches. So that was fine, and the crowd was into that. Uh, moving on, Hiroki Goto defeated Shingo. Twenty minutes. Uh, Jeremy via pin. Your thoughts? I thought the match was really good. Best match on the night. Um, not saying too much because really it only had one competition from one other match, and that was the main event. Not as good as their G1 match. And even, like we talk about it all the time, there's so much good wrestling out there that stuff has really got to stand out to to make an impact. And even though this match was really good, I'd recommend it. If you got time, check it out. It's not something you're going to remember like a month from now when you've got 20 other matches that are just as good, if not better. Didn't like who won because I just don't see any future with Goto. And Shingo at least feels fresh and new. You can push him in the heavyweight division, put him in that never open weight division. I, give me the book on the never open weight title. Give me the book on that. I wish Shingo had won this match. Um, but overall, still good. Goto winning, fine, whatever. Yeah, and obviously the the Goto win was, as I was talked about on the preview, was set up for whoever won the main event for him to step up as a challenger. So the main event was Jay White defeating Tetsuya Naito, 29 minutes, 51 seconds via pin, to become the new Intercontinental Champion, Jeremy. And obviously right away the um, Naito is getting buried, people were out in force. I don't know if Naito's being buried. He's still... I mean, I told you what I think. I thought Jay White was going to win this match. And I still think Naito goes to the Tokyo Dome. They do the rematch night one. They do the big IC, IWGP, world, uh, the heavyweight title match night two. And I think Naito walks away and is the double champion after night two of the Tokyo Dome. Um, Could be completely wrong but that that is where i see this going so jay white winning not too big of a surprise to me because i thought it was going to happen as far as the match goes it was fine it was long uh they've got good chemistry together certainly it just it felt like one of those new japan main events where it's like all right it's the main event we've got to go 30 minutes and it's like you don't have to go 30 minutes and that was my problem with this match. Cut cut off five minutes of this match, and it's it's probably a much better match. At least five minutes, dude. And I agree. It's a. I thought it was really good overall. I thought execution wise and everything they were on, they do have good chemistry. But it it also felt at the same time lethargic. 
um, and just too long. And I just, I was like, yeah, I was like, yeah, you could have, not even, shit, you could have cut 10 minutes off of that easily. And I think it's a better match, period. And it's, yeah, I don't, uh, again, I, I use the, the term a lot. It's, uh, it was too much Wyatt Earp and not enough Tombstone. I don't need Wyatt Earp's whole entire life fucking story over 18 hours. I just give a shit about him and his brothers and Doc Holliday killing fuckers in Tombstone. That's all I want. So give me the hits, you know. Sometimes a great main event can be long, man, but not... It It also... I think it also... The thing is, it loses its effect when every fucking main event has to be 27 to 35 minutes. Doesn't have to be. I would love one day for them to go in and, like, some shit happens and we get, like, a 13-minute main event. Not that anybody gets hurt. I would just love to go in there and see, like, you know, Kata goes in there with fucking Goto or somebody and they go in some back and forth... He slips out of Ushiguroshi, hits a fucking Rainmaker, and just pins him in like 12 minutes. I'd be fine with this. I yeah. I don't need all these New Japan matches going super long and being this epic thing. It's, I hate to say this, but it's Triple H-like in that you have to go in there and you want to, and granted the work, please don't crucify me for, for that comment. The work is much better than 50-year-old Triple H is doing, and I know we're going to talk about him later. It's much better than the work he is doing, but that's what it feels like. It's it's Triple H feels like, oh, this is my match. I got to do this 30, 40-minute match because that's what the people want, and even if it's not great, it still feels like an epic just because it's so damn long, and you don't have to do that. Like The work can speak for itself and you can do just 20 minutes and still have like a really great match. They're going to do this again with Okada and Sonata and it's going to be a great match, but it's also just going to be overly long where Okada wins and it doesn't need to be that long. Yeah. And I I do agree with the Okada Sonata thing. That's exactly what it's going to be. And like, they do have great matches. I enjoy them, but the other thing, too, it is going to be fucking long because all they've done is every time they face outside of the G1 because of the time limit restraint is that Sonata takes them deeper into the waters each time. It's like, I don't want them to take them deeper into the waters. I want them to try to end this shit in five minutes, please. You know, it's like, yeah, I don't, don't need them trying to have an epic every time out. And again, it's just, um, it, it means less when you do it all the time. And I just, I don't need it all the time. And I, I'd rather them not doing it. I'd rather be surprised. I would love to see Okada and Sonata go 15 or 20 minutes. And totally surprise me. And again, that's like you said, you know, you don't have to go long for it to be great. And the G1 shows us that because there were a slew of fucking matches that were 13 to 17 minutes. That all made my best list, uh, best uh, matches of the tournament list. You don't have to go near 30 minutes for it to be great. You know, a great match can be a great match regardless of time. It's just, yeah, I don't... Uh, I'm kind of... I, I get over the epics and I've talked about it. And someone's like, well, you just don't have a good attention span. It's like, oh, fuck you. It's like, trust me, I have a great attention span. I watch a lot more than you do, okay? It's, it's, <laughs> it's the fact that not every fucking match has to be this way. And, you know, there, there are people... I know I know Kevin on our site. Kevin gets some shit because of the way he talks about the New Japan main event formula. And they're just like, Well, you just don't like Okada and great wrestling. And it's like, nowhere does he say that. He's, he's talking about the fact that, like, for him, and I largely agree, 
a lot of times in Okada match, like the Sonata matches, will have that like 15 minute opening stretch where it has good wrestling, but absolutely nothing happens and nothing really matters. And you don't need that. And the match doesn't have to be nearly 40 minutes if you cut out a bunch of that shit. That's all he's talking about. He didn't say Okada was bad. He didn't say anybody else was bad. It's just, he's making a point. And again, I agree with him a lot of the time. We don't need epics for the sake of epics. Remember when, uh, it was earlier this year, the Tanahashi and Omega feud, and Tanahashi was like, you don't need to watch a full Kenny Omega match. You watch the final five minutes, you watch the closing stretch, and you understand what the entire match is about. And I realized it was a, a promo, like an in-character thing, where he was trying to play on the two different styles to, to build up his match and everything. And, you know, Ta- and Omega's like, you don't need to watch a full Tanahashi match. It's just boring as shit. They do a bunch of limb work and stuff, and, and then it ends. And, again, they were cutting promos and whatnot, but... The Tanahashi's point against Omega kind of makes sense in that I feel that way with a lot of Kenny Omega matches, and I feel that way with a lot of New Japan main events in that, sure, some of them can tell a really good story, and I think Tanahashi's the best at this. But overall, just watch the final, like, five, ten minute closing stretch, and you get the gist of the match, and, like, that's the great portion of the match. I mean, you just said it. Like, an Okada match, if it goes 30 minutes... That first 10 minutes is just largely good wrestling that ultimately doesn't matter all that much. And not to say that it's not a bigger part of the story, but sometimes it's it's really not. Like, I know New Japan people want to defend it and be like, well, it is. Like, everything they do is part of the larger story. It's like, it's really not, guys. They they've They've done so well over the years to make you think that it is. It's not. They just go long for the sake of going long, and you could cut that out, and you'd lose absolutely nothing in how good that match is. Exactly. I I definitely agree. So it's just, again, it's not that it was bad. It's just it didn't have to be that long is the point. Uh, So moving on, Jeremy, uh, let's talk about Baron Corbin for a little bit. Yeah, the best in the world. uh, He technically is, right? He's... Shane McMahon he's, he's, lost he's, to Chad he's the Gable. king of the world. Well, he's the best, too. He's the linear best in the world. Because it was Shane, he lost to Gable, and then Corbin beat Gable. So if the linear best in the world title existed, Baron Corbin would be the champion. Boom. Nailed it. All right, I can give you the linear best in the world. But uh, <laughs> I, I want to talk about Baron Corbin because all of a sudden, I'm reading the most horrible takes in the world. That... Baron Corbin is a great professional wrestler all of a sudden. He's a great worker. Hang on. And the best (laughs) one is he's always been great. Nobody just wanted to see it. Now, let's backtrack on here. Baron Corbin was okay in NXT. He came up to the main roster. He was okay. He cut his hair. He had a horrible stint as Constable Fuckface. He started dressing like a bartender all the time. And then he had a bad main event run with Seth Rollins. Jeremy, am I correct so far? Yeah. Okay. Then after his bad main event run with Seth Rollins, because he was not ready for that at all, he went away for a little bit, and he came back. Now, I am not a big Baron Corbin fan, but... 
as I said during the King of the Ring, I thought he had a really good King of the Ring tournament. He was in his element. He was able to be a douchebag heel. He was not working overly long matches. He was not expected to carry overly long matches. He was working with good people. He held up his part of the matches. And yes, he had really good matches. Can we calm down with the... Baron Corbin was having bangers week in and week out. Baron Corbin is a great worker and made Chad Gable look like a great babyface. It's like, all of a sudden, because he went away after a bad run and he came back, everybody wants to jump to an extreme. And all of a sudden, Baron Corbin is a great elite worker, and this is proof that he should get another main event shot soon. No, 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 no. It's actually to the contrary, he should not. Now, again, I am not trying to take away from his King of the Ring run. I thought it was a very good King of the Ring run. I thought he did really well. But the thing is, is he did well because he was put in a position to succeed. Something we've harped on on this show numerous times. Guys need to be put in a place to succeed. That's why a lot of the NXT guys thrive in NXT. That's why takeovers tend to deliver because these guys are put in a place where they can maximize on all of their skills and what is good. And anything that is bad about them is downplayed as much as possible. And that's what happened during this King of the Ring run. Because Paul Heyman is really good at accentuating positives and hiding negatives. He put Baron Corbin in a place to succeed. He didn't have to work overly long matches. He did not have to carry matches. He didn't have to try to be the biggest star of the match. He just had to play his role. And to his credit, he did it really well. I think Baron Corbin is the pinky-wearing douchebag king, has a lot of character potential. I also think that that is his role. Mid-card heel with the occasional... There's an occasional time you can bump him up for like a title shot on TV or a B pay-per-view. But he's not your main event guy. He has a ceiling, and unless he rapidly improves, he's not going to pass that. So I think everybody needs to be a little more realistic about him. Because I also see people that are like, oh, he's the drizzling shit still. And again, that's also the farthest from the fucking truth. Because he had a really good King of the Ring run, guys. Pay attention. He was not carried in every match despite the fun um, you know, narrative that everybody wants to, to, to turn on this. That's not the case. But also at the same time, he has not turned into an all-time great overnight, nor has he been great his entire run. Have a little bit of perspective and keep it real. He's where he needs to be. He's where he should be. And right now he's where he's going to thrive. And that is a strong mid-card heel. Jeremy, your thoughts? I thought Baron Corbin's King of the Ring one run was good. I think he's perfect for the role because, like we talked about in our preview, it makes sense to have a heel in this role who can just be over the top with the King gimmick. And that's what Baron Corbin will do with this. I love the pinky ring. I hope he rubs that in people's faces and makes people kiss it. I hope he makes Ricochet change his Twitter handle. And I mean, the Street Profits didn't have their crowns this week. Guess whose decision that was? Um, as far as Baron Corbin up until this point, 
he was put in a bad position by being Constable Corbin. And let me correct myself. That was a good position for him. The problem was they felt the need to use him in literally every single segment. If you do that role, but only have him on television once or twice and don't have him wrestle, especially in the main event, as much as they did, he probably does very well in that role. But they used him like every quarter hour and they used him in every main event. And so people just got sick of him. And then he had the angle thing. Nobody wanted him in that role. And like that was just he was put in an unfortunate position there because everyone wanted John Cena. And it's like, ah, we'll put Baron Corbin there. And it's like, no one wants this fucking guy. And then he had the main event run with, with Seth. And again, no one wanted to see him in the main event. I think Baron Corbin is a very strong mid Carter. And I don't take that as a knock. Like you need very strong mid Carters. I, and he's a guy who can at certain points, elevate to that main event level and be the heater for the month or the two months or however long the problem was they tried to do this immediately after wrestlemania when when seth is coming off this big win against brock and you needed someone just much hotter than baron corbin if baron corbin is coming off this king of the ring run right after wrestlemania and seth is coming off the brock run this is when you can elevate corbin to that main event spot and people are like oh yeah this this could work, but instead Corbin was coming off his constable run and the uh, the angle run where no one wanted him, and then you tried to elevate him. It's like, no, this fucking sucks. So I think he's been put in bad positions. I think he's been overused at certain points, but as far as his work goes, I don't mind him as a promo. I think he's good as a heel. I think he gets for the most part the right amount of heat uh not the it was go away heat for a while i think that's kind of transformed into a we don't like you kind of heat and i think he's a good worker with the right people and he certainly was working with the right people in, in the king of the ring and he held his own in those matches he he didn't carry anybody but he wasn't carried in those matches either it was a like most great wrestling matches are a a 50 50 tango so I don't have an issue with Baron Corbin. I'm not crowning him the best in the world, but uh, I guess literally he is the best in the world. Uh, as far as opinion goes, I don't think he's the best in the world, but he's also not the, the worst wrestler of all time either. Exactly. And that's the thing too, is people want to go to extremes all I mean, the it's time. Twitter. Well, it's not even just Twitter. It's, it's everything, man. It's, it's so ridiculous because all of a sudden, he's the greatest, and then, like I said, you have people that are saying he's absolute shit need to be carried. And again, farthest from the truth, I enjoyed his King of the Ring run. Thought it was good. I thought, But again, I thought it was good because he was put in that position to succeed. This is where he needs to be right now. And you can rehab him, and you can make him into maybe a main eventer down the line. But like you said, too, coming out of Mania and stuff, nobody wanted to see him versus Seth. And it, it, it felt like it's such a downgrade for Seth as well. Because you just beat Brock Lesnar and it's like, now you're facing off with Constable Douchebag. And nobody wanted to see that. So it's, yeah. But no, just, you can do a lot with Corbin, I think. But you have to rehab him. And you have to let him sit in this role. And to use a, a preparation term in cooking, you got to let the brother marinate a little bit. Let him be that really good mid-card heel. Let him be a douchebag. Let him have some good matches. Let him make people kiss his pinky ring and shit. And let him actually start getting some real heat instead of, oh, Christ, Corbin's on TV heat. Because I think in this role, he's valuable and can succeed. Yeah, I'm with you. And 
I'm looking forward to his King of the Ring run because his matches were good. He's the right character for this angle. And I think he'll do it. I like the segment on Raw with, with Gable. I thought he was a great dick. And then I thought Gable was really good and just destroying all this shit. So I thought that was a, a very good use of him. And I suspect they'll continue to use him fairly well. Like, Heyman, I, the draft is going to shake things up. I'd imagine Corbin stays on Raw because I think Heyman does like Corbin. Corbin's talked about it in the past. Like, he goes to Heyman a lot uh, for promo help and stuff. And, and Heyman, I think respects a lot of that stuff on guys who come to him and he wants to help him and he sees something in Corbin. I think Heyman was smart to essentially keep him off television for those months after extreme rules. And then he comes back, he does the King of the ring run and he wins King of the ring. Obviously Vince has final say on that stuff, but Heyman has booked him in, in the right way since extreme rules. So I think he'll, he'll do fine if he stays on raw with Heyman. Yeah. And also that that's another, um, that's another justification for getting guys off of TV every once in a while, too. You just need to, because especially after that run with Seth, it wasn't good. He needed off of TV for a little bit. And when he came back, it was like, oh, hey, you know, he's been gone for a little bit. Let's see what happens. And then, hey, look, a, a little bit of time off, a little refresh and some better booking and putting him in, into a position to succeed. And he had a good run. Holy shit. Look how that works, you know? So, yeah, I I, I joked about this, but it kind of holds some truth of like WWE's star making system is have someone disgruntled, ask for their release, have them be away for months at a time. And then they come back and they're the hottest thing in the world. Uh, Like they did that with Sasha. They did that with Luke Harper. Like those are now two of their I don't know if Luke Harper is like this huge star, but he's in a big main event angle. Sasha's in the big women's main event angle like these are people Leo Rush is now getting a title shot uh, in NXT. Even Rusev, we'll see how that goes. He's in maybe a dead end angle, but, you know, Baron Corbin, he got that time off like that is Bray Wyatt. He had all that time off and Grant, can they booked him smartly uh, coming out of it? But it does give those people time to just be a little bit fresher. The only person this has never worked for is Dolph Ziggler. (laughs) Poor guy. Uh, But, you know, give these guys and girls six weeks off as sometimes like after, after a big run, like just let them have six weeks. I think when Balor comes back, he's going to be better than ever because he's going to have this time off. He will feel missed. He will feel recharged. And as long as they, they book him somewhat strong, then he's going to be fine. But I think a lot of people just need just, just six weeks off after, after a big run. So they come back and they just feel fresh because eh, you need that freshness feeling. And like NXT, this is what works for them when they had one hour is guys weren't used on every show. So guys felt fresh when they were used, even if it was like a week or two later, because we, we weren't seeing them every week. And that's, I get why you can't quite do that in WWE, like not use people for a full week, at least your, your top people, but you can certainly give people six, six weeks off at a time and then cycle in new people. I've said this for years because you always have people that want to do the off season argument. Give wrestlers need an off season to rest and blah blah blah, and I and I get the the sentiment behind that, but it's not very viable when you're running weekly TV year round. 
but I have been a big proponent of rotating time off. And, you know, like, you sit there and you, you divide your roster up, like your raw roster, and you have, like, a sliver of four or five people. And then, like, okay, well, you know, starting in mid-July, we're planning to have these people off for three to six weeks. So you need to book around that. And you, you do that for all, you do that for everybody, so at some point people get time off. And and just going back to your point, it keeps people fresh. It helps things out. And it also gives other people a chance to get over. Because if you take an AJ Styles off TV for a couple weeks, who generally gets a fair amount of TV time, that is going to give other people a chance to hopefully step up and maybe they get over. And then, holy shit, hey, what do you know? Maybe we make some new stars here and there. And that's never a bad thing. So, yeah, I am all for various um, amounts of time off and not just like Randy Orton taking his like three weeks off to go bang his wife on the beach. I mean, good for brother Randy, but I mean, you know, that's just part of his sweet deal. We're talking like everybody at various times getting time off and it really is needed. So, but uh, yeah, you yeah. don't. You're not going to do an off season because you you've got television commitments and stuff, but you can give wrestlers a break and it's good to see that they're they're doing this now and hopefully that leads to less frustrations where people are like, yeah, I kind of just want to get my release because I'm just so sick of it here. Like give them those six weeks off to, to kind of recharge, you know, and things uh, CM Punk joked about it on his interview um, during Starcast. He's like, wait, you can just get time off now. If you ask, like, really, it's that simple. And it seems to be that simple nowadays. If you want to take some time off, just ask. And they don't seem to have as big of an issue with it. Like, I'm sure there's still issues, but Finn Balor just seemed like he wanted to take time off to get married and he's got the time off. So I, I don't think it's a it's a big as big of a deal anymore. So if guys are burnt out, they're feeling burnt out, they want to get refreshed, just ask for time off. And again, I'm probably simplifying it and they may go to Vince every week and be like, Hey, can I get a week off? And Vince is like, Yeah, I don't know about that, pal. So <laughs> it's not good shit, pal. No thanks. Yeah. <laughs> good 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 gonna need you. I'll you one. <laughs> Gonna need you for this five second pre-tape to do. I'm gonna I'm gonna need you for a pre-tape and then for the 19 day uh, UK tour. Thanks. Yeah. So, uh, but yeah. So we'll see what happens and hopefully, hopefully that continues to be more of a um a normal thing. People getting time off. But uh, Jeremy, it is that time of year again. WWE is about to cash in on. That Saudi Arabian cash when they hold sweet Saudi money for here in late October. And as we all know, one of the mainstays of these shows has become Triple H because the guy loves to wrestle still. The Prince of Saudi Arabia wants stars. And let's face it, Uncle Paul loves that big-ass paycheck and who can blame him? And, you know, so on these shows, he and HBK beat the Brothers of Destruction, but he's also lost to Randy Orton and John Cena. And uh, the other day I was thinking about it and I, I posted on Twitter and I was like, you know, who, who's going to cash in? Who's going to work a match with Triple H that goes way too long and under delivers in Saudi Arabia this time around, Jeremy? And I um, actually have a column dropping on Monday about this, but uh, I thought I'd go to you for some thoughts and uh, I'll share my list. We'll talk about this, but uh, who do you think is, uh, who do you think Triple H might be facing on these shows? 
I saw your tweet, and this is on like Thursday you tweeted it, when Thursday was uh, Kenny Omega Day, essentially. Uh, and that's who he's going to face. Kenny Omega. Cleaner. Got this. Please. Triple H would be a... He's a <laughs> developmental guy. He'd be opening the card for him, brother. Yeah, I Ken, mean, Triple Kenny H wants the... Crack. Triple H wants the main event. Uh, Kenny Omega is your main event. Always in the main event. So that's who he's going to face. My actual pick, since I'm assuming Kenny Omega is not an option, I I honestly think it's just going to be Goldberg. Like, why not Goldberg? Fair enough. I actually have Goldberg. I have old Willie on my list. I have a list of five, Jeremy. And I'll hit you up with who I'm thinking here. We got okay. We got Braun Strowman. Because yeah, they, possible. They they've kind of teased that in the past and. Braun's in a really weird place to where they see him as a star, but like not the guy. And he gets his occasional pushes and title matches and main events, and he just hasn't had the, the trigger pulled on him. Plus, he can whip out that uh, greatest Royal Rumble big green belt defended against Triple H for the Prince. Isn't that just the 24 7 title? Shh. We're not telling anybody that. <laughs> I actually, uh, it kind of looks like it, though, doesn't it? Isn't yeah, it? that's what I'm saying. Uh, yeah, Bra- Braun makes sense. I would hope if they do that, that Braun wins. And I, it sounds like it might be a big deal, but nothing on the Saudi shows that they do is a big deal. So whatever. Triple H could honestly beat them, and no one would be like, oh, they've buried Braun. They'd just be like, eh, happened on the Saudi show. Does it really count? Uh, next up, depending on if he's healthy or not, I think Jeff Hardy would be a fine pick. I like that. That's a very good throwback, honestly. So, yeah, that'd be a cool match. Yeah. I'd be even better if they didn't go 20 minutes, but exactly. I'm, I'm a fan of that. Yeah, and the other thing is, too, like with a lot of these matches with him, they like doing um, stuff that he's had feuds with already so they can go back and raid the video vault for good video packages. So him and Jeff have a history, and... Yeah, I like that. Uh, I think it would be good. And then uh, next up on my list is The Big Show. Big Show is basically retired, and he's going to do a Netflix show. But I'm I'm sure he'd throw on the singlet and go over and make a million bucks to lose to Triple H. He most certainly would. And I would think that match would be of the short variety as well. So that's I'm a fan of that booking. Hell yeah. Uh, another one that could be short and uh, would uh, make sense because they have history. Uh and this person loves to make money too, Brock Lesnar. <laughs> Brock is all about me. Brock is going to be the the champion when this show happens. I would because the show is what October thirty first is the, so. the rumor. 31st. Yeah, so I mean, assuming that Brock wins on the fourth, he's not losing the title that quickly. So yeah, Brock's going to be the champion, and that might rule that out immediately, just because. I know the Saudi shows don't matter, but they are going to have to push this on television. And I don't think they're going to be pushing Triple H for a world title match on television. Oh, they most certainly can. He's on the <laughs> That's true. They can. And then I had uh, I had Goldberg as my final one. So and I, yeah, I, I, I like that one simply because it could be short. Yeah, that, that's the one that makes the most sense to me. I figure Goldberg wants to do like I know he did the Ziggler match and that kind of got the the stink of the Undertaker match off of him I think he wants to do at least one more uh probably back in Saudi to to really erase that Undertaker match and doing the Triple H match Triple H 
I don't know how what he feels. He's, he's clearly comfortable losing these matches in Saudi Arabia. He lost to Orton and he lost to uh, Cena. And I'm sure he's comfortable losing to Goldberg. And I would hope that he knows, yeah, we're not going uh, 20 minutes out there. Let's just, you know, do some stuff for 8 to 10 minutes. Jackhammer, Spear, let's get out of here. Exactly. I mean, that, that's the thing. Is like The funny thing is, is like WWE did not get it in Goldberg's first run with the company. And then thankfully now in the later years, they've actually, they get it. Because people don't want to see Willie in fucking 20-minute epics, man. They want a version of the Goldberg match. They want something short. They want the hits. They want to see the spear and the jackhammer. They want to see Bill looking like a badass. They don't want him trying to work an epic Ric Flair-style main event by any means. It's just not what people want, and nor nor should they try to do it, especially this late in his career. That's why the stuff with Brock worked. Like when they did that like seven-minute sprint at Mania to where they just hit all their shit, you know? Yeah, that match ruled. Yeah, it was fucking great. And so it's just like, and I think that's what they were initially trying with that Undertaker match until he got knocked out and then it went to shit. So it's like, yeah, it's just, that's all you need to do. Fucking let, you know, let, let Triple H low blow him and pedigree him and then Bill kick out and spear and jackhammer him. What the fuck ever. Basically do the warrior match at WrestleMania 12. You should do the, the warrior match at Halloween Havoc 98. Oh, Jesus, Jeremy. I, I have to review this, you know. <laughs> Are you reviewing Halloween Havoc 98? No, I'm talking about the damn oh. Saudi show. Oh, I got to do the podcast with you, although I'm going to miss that show live. So, yeah, I'm not going to be able to watch that show live. Fine. Sorry, look, I, I'm going to a, a drag show that night, all right? And it's Halloween, so it's going to be a, a really fun night. I don't have time to be watching fucking Triple H and his 20-minute epics and these house show Saudi Arabia events. Fair enough, but that show's on in the middle of the day, so it's not on at night. Nice try. Uh, I will, honestly, <laughs> I will be able to watch part of it live. I don't I think I will be able to watch all of it live, and I definitely will not be able to record right after it. I don't know. We'll, we'll, it, it'll be fun. We'll, we'll, we'll figure it out. But yeah, it's, uh, yeah, that's uh, supposed to be coming on the 31st. So that's, uh, that's who we're kind of thinking for Triple H. If you guys have any ideas, drop them in the comment section. And, uh, and again, I never promised there would be like good or great matches. I'm just talking to, um, just talking about stuff that might happen, you know, and judging by history and people that like to make money. And that's what the Saudi show is all about. The company bringing in 50 million bucks and guys getting big paydays to go and do one match. And that's like I said, I could see Big Show definitely rolling over there and doing a match for a million bucks and going back and doing his Netflix show and having a good time. So Kenny Omega. (laughs) There you go. So that'll bring us to the final thing we are going to talk about, Jeremy. Your absolute favorite. But in all honesty, it is a good card on paper. ROH, Death Before Dishonor 2019. ROH returning to pay-per-view Friday night. And it is a really good card, honestly. It, will anybody watch and care? That is another question. Uh, but I'm um, going to play a game right now, Larry. Okay. I take a pill every night that helps me sleep. I'm going to take this pill right now, and let's see if I can stay awake for this review. That is horrible radio, Jeremy. Why would you do that? <laughs> Uh, 
I, the card is good on paper. We're going to talk about the greatest angle in the world that's apparently going nowhere. And I think we're going to see if Roosh can save this company. That's right. So uh, we'll start off on the pre-show. Jeff Cobb versus Brody King. And hey, if you're going to put on a pre-show match that is going to be good and hopefully get people to tune in, this is a good choice because both guys are really good. They've worked a lot in the SoCal indie scene. Uh, Jeff Cobb is ready for a title shot in the UK, so Jeff Cobb should win. Should be a really good match, though. I like this match. It's a shame it's on the pre-show. Bump the Women of Honor match. Sorry. Not sorry. Okay, if you put the Women of Honor on the pre-show, who's going to buy the pay-per-view after watching that? Who's going to buy this pay-per-view regardless? Okay, that is a kind of fair point. But seriously, (laughs) if you want people to buy it, you can't put Angelina Love and Kelly Klein out there. Does this show do more or less buys than AAA invading New York? Oof. I'd like to say more, man, but uh, I... I... (laughs) I think it does more, but yeah, it's uh, it's rough. It might do a sixty-two instead of sixty. Um, Matt Taven's got a lot of family members, right? Allegedly, I like this match. I think it'll be really good. Cobb rules. Brody King rules. Cobb winning makes the most sense here because he does have the title shot. But strong pre-show match. It's it's kind of weird they're putting the main event on the pre-show. There you go. Uh, moving on to the main card, we have a barroom brawl between the Bouncers and Silas Young and Vinny Marsaglia. This is coming out of the uh, Global Wars Espe- Spectacular Tour, where in Milwaukee, Vinny Marsaglia went nuts and beat the shit out of uh, the Bruiser with a turnbuckle and busted his mouth and teeth up. And uh, Silas was part of that beatdown because... TKO Ryan is uh, still out of action due to post-concussion issues. So they're going to have a barroom brawl, Jeremy. So anything goes. Lots of smoke and mirrors. Cover it up your thoughts. Should be a fun little wild brawl. I imagine they'll use like a bunch of beer stuff. Maybe that fan in the front row will be asleep again, and they'll <laughs> take his beer and, and toss that on Maybe they'll the use the fan. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it'll be a fine garbage brawl. I don't know how over the top they'll get. I hope it's like, um, remember when APA used to do, they should actually have this bar room brawl in a bar room. Like, uh, you ever play, I guess it was no mercy. It might've been WrestleMania 2000. It was definitely one of those games though. And it probably happened in some of the SmackDown games. You go backstage and you actually could have like a match in a bar room with like the pool table and the pool cue and stuff like that. They should just do that. Just go to film this at an actual bar. I'd be perfectly fine with that. I do think, wasn't there a match APA did where it, I, I think they did film stuff, film yeah, stuff they used to in a bar. Yeah, film stuff at the Friendly Tap, Tim White's bar all the time. Yeah, but they, they had a match as well, like, at ringside, but it was like a bar set up. Yeah, at yeah, ring- they set up a bar by the stage, yeah. Right, so they should they should do something like that. I think that would be awesome. They're probably not going to do it. Probably not, but I would be all for it. I, mean, I actually love that idea. Put me on the booking team, Lizard Man. That's right. I, I don't know. Bully Ray might yell at you for yelling at the women of honor and being mean to them. I'm not yelling at them. I, I don't have anything to say about them. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, next up, this should be really good. I'll go to you first. Jonathan Gresham versus Jay Lethal. Cannot wait for this match. They've got a good story with Gresham and his heel turn. Gresham rules. Jay Lethal rules. Gresham might win uh, Battle of Los Angeles. I, they're 
literally it's going on right now and i think he's still alive in it so he's in the finals um maybe so uh trying to keep up um yeah should should be a a strong match though because they they both rule and i think gresham's going to win because lethal he doesn't have to win everything and gresham with his heel turn i don't think you can beat him right out of the gate here yeah i i love this match they have a great history because they had the uh it started out to where they were, you know, facing when Jay Lethal was world champion out of respect. And then they uh, eventually became like a tag team for a while. And, you know, Jay Lethal just wanted Gresham to be a good wrestle lad and be, you know, fair play Yano basically all the time. And unfortunately, Gresham started to become disenfranchised with everything, the way ROH was treating him and started cheating and being an asshole and that led to the split with lethal who has basically been kind of a mentor with him throughout so uh, i like how they built to that i think it's made sense they've had great matches in the past um so i am looking forward to this one it'll be interesting because this one's gonna have a much different tone because gresham is the heel now and I like that though, because it should. Uh, they've had great matches, but I mean, it'll. It's always good for it to be different, and I like that. It's a little more personal now. Um, lethal. The, the winner is like really weird because Lethal is in the number one contenders tournament and has a match the next night. But again, Gresham is just freshly turned heel, and he has a match coming up with Alex she- Shelley. So it's like overall, Lethal has enough. Um, credibility built up i think he can afford the loss and i think gresham really needs it to move forward plus there have been light rumors that uh lethal is one of the guys with a contract ending at the end of the year like a lot of guys. good on jay lethal get paid jay lethal and please i don't know if he'll leave but i hope he does uh gresham is in the finals of, of bola by the way i don't know if he'll finish if that'll finish by the time we get done recording but he is in the finals for those keeping track Get paid, Jay Lethal. I think Gresham still wins this match. Yeah, I hope he does. I think I really think he should. Because I think, like I said, Lethal has enough credibility. He can take the loss. It's not going to hurt him. And speaking of the number one contenders uh, title tournament daily, first round matchup, PCO versus Kenny King, Jeremy. God, PCO wins. Just end this whole Kenny King thing. See, that's the problem, Jeremy. They're not going to end the whole Kenny King thing. <sighs> they think they can make Kenny King a star. Kenny King is much older than anybody thinks. How old is Kenny King, Larry? Fuck if I know. I'll look it up. I'm going to look this up. Anyway, Kenny King is friggin'. I was using him in my. He's 38, by the way. So there you go. He's not some young guy. He's 38. I'm not PCO isn't young either. PCO feels younger and fresher than Kenny King though. So think about that for a second. PCO should win. I agree with you. Kenny King will probably win because they don't know what they're doing. Yeah, and that's it's they're they keep trying to make Kenny King a guy and they think he's a star and he's just the best way to put it is Kenny King is the best of what's, what's left. He was around when all the big important names were in ROH and all the stars were there. And he's still there because everybody else moved on. And he occasionally has a good to really great match. Like when he had a great match like last year or two years ago with Kushida. And then like every once in a while he has he churns something else out that's worth watching. 
But they think he's a big star, and he's just really not. He's a guy. He's a role player. He's not your main guy. He's Matt Taven. I don't. I don't know if we have to get that personal about it, but I mean, <laughs> that's a little harsh, Jeremy. But uh, so anyway, I mean, we have another tournament match: uh, Marty Skrull versus Colt Cabana. Skrull should win. I don't know if he's going to. I don't have any faith in what this company does with Marty Skrull. I think any storyline they do would be better with Marty Skrull. I mean, we've we've beaten the Marty Skrull thing to, to death by now. Skrull will at least win this match. I don't know if he's going any further than that, but he'll at least win this match. Should be okay. The crowd loves Skrull. Cabana... They, they love Cabana, too, and he does his gimmick. Uh, both guys can go, but I wouldn't suspect it'll be anything more than just, like, average. Maybe, maybe a little above average, but nothing more than that. Yeah, I think it can be good. And, uh, yeah, Marty's always over. Colt's over. should should be good, and uh, Marty should win. They gave Colt the win on the uh, Spectacular Tour to heat him up a little bit, which made sense. So Marty should win here to move on. Just makes sense to me, especially how I have the tournament booked out in my head. Uh. Moving on to your favorite, the Women of Honor, Jeremy. Kelly Klein nope. defending against Angelina Love. Nope. It's, I, uh, you know, I, I hate coming across so rude about it, but it's like, with all due respect, the Women of Honor division has just been trash for a long time. I cannot recall the last time they put on something enjoyable or that I would even consider good. I hope that they can fix that. I hope that this is good. I have no faith that it will be. They have been teasing this match and possible title change since the G1 Supercard. And I expect Angelina Love to win and the Allure to keep being the Allure. And yay. So there you go. Okay. Big angle time, Jeremy. Your favorite. ROH TV champion, the best in the world, Shane Taylor versus Tracy Williams versus Flip Gordon. I will go to you first because I know you want to talk about this angle. Hey, we talked about the angle on the the last show, so I don't have too much more to add other than Shane Taylor, I guess, has agreed to to do this match. So, cool. Like, why? I don't get it. Like, he's been released from his contract, so why not just, like, take the title and be like, fuck y'all? This angle is so dumb. It's really, really dumb. I think Shane Taylor actually wins and to to keep up the appearances of this angle because, what, if he loses, then it's just like, all right, we release this guy, go do Shane Taylor promotions, and then what are you hoping to gain out of that? This is such a dumb angle. It really is. First of all, the match made absolutely no sense going into the pay-per-view because... Williams and Flip were not properly positioned for a title match, and he had already beat Tracy Williams. And then there's the fact that this match contains two of the worst ROH booking tropes in the world, which is the work shoot and the employee that's disenfranchised with management and wants to leave. They never come off well. They never work. They never deliver. They're desperately trying to get attention with the whole contract buyout bullshit. It doesn't work. It makes no sense. Why wouldn't you just strip Taylor of the title if you're buying out his contract and do Tracy and Flip for the title? So yeah, I hate this. It's sad because I really like Shane Taylor. The match might be good, 
But Shane's going to win, but I have no faith in ROH and their storytelling and management to actually make this work on any level. I think the match will be fine. Like, all three of these guys are good. It's just they're trying to tell stories, brother, and this is a terrible story. Yeah, definitely not good at all. So, moving on to something that should be really good, ROH Tag Team Champions, the Briscoes versus Lifebloods, Bandito, and Mark Haskins, Jeremy. Fire it up for this one. I think this will probably be probably up there with Lethal and Gresham. Those should be the top two matches on the show, I think, from an in-ring standpoint. The Briscoes, we've talked about so many times. ROH Legends, they're fucking great. They deliver all the time. Um, they even dragged back, back-to-back great matches out of the fucking Gorillas of Destiny, so what does that tell you? And, uh, Lifeblood has been one of the more consistent acts overall, despite not great booking in ROH, they always deliver in the ring. I, I don't see a title change, but I think they will have a really great match, probably, and, uh, hopefully we're wrong and they throw us a curveball and we do get a title change, because that would really shock me, actually, because I don't see that happening. I could see a title change here. Um, it's not like 50-50. I think it's more maybe 20%, but I'm not completely like, eh, there's no way it's going to happen. I do think the the Briscoes will win. Lifelike could really use these titles, though, just because they could use anything right now. I still, this stable... Like, they're lifeblood, so theoretically they should feel, like, fresh and new and exciting. And it's just guys thrown together with no real direction and losing juice completely just ruined that for them. And they never really replaced him, so it's just they don't have a leader. They're just a bunch of guys, for, and they're they're there. Um, I could see them winning. I do think the Briscoes will win. Really looking forward to this match because it's four strong workers and... Yeah, they'll, they'll get time because it's a tag team title match as well. Match should be great. Probably match of the night. I'm with you that Lethal and Gresham, probably the only thing that's going to challenge that. And I think Lethal and Gresham might lean a little bit more heavier on story than it may need to. Um, whereas this match will just be four guys going out there and to just try to put on the best match. Yeah, and sometimes that's all I need is just four dudes busting their ass to fucking have a great match. So. I am excited for this one. And now we move on to our main event of the evening, Jeremy. ROH World Champion Matt Taven versus Roosh. I go to you first. (laughs) Roosh should win. That should be the easiest call. He should do it in about three seconds. I guess he needs longer than that to to hit his uh, finish and then the count and everything. Should do it in about ten seconds. And... That should be that. It's going to be long, maybe even overly long. I do think Roosh will win. I don't know what Taven's contract situation is. It, you know, it's reported that it's up in September. And if he loses, it's going to feel that he hasn't, as of as of this recording, he's not reportedly resigned. And maybe he has resigned and no one cares about ROH, so it just hasn't been reported yet. Uh, but as of right now, he is not reportedly resigned. So if he loses, that'll add more fuel that he hasn't resigned. If he wins, it's a damn good chance if it doesn't come out during this week that he's resigned, that he is definitely resigned unless they're trying to do this another stupid their their trope of you know summer of punk which worked because it was cm punk and damn sure ain't working the fall of taven 
in a way sort of makes sense the, the fall of Taven the fall of this company by using Matt Taven as their world champion Rue should win yeah it, okay so to, before I kind of get into full Matt Taven burial mode uh, I do want to say that the match does have a good history behind it with their work in CMLL it's been slowly built to since Rush's ROH debut it's a match that makes sense. It needed to happen. But again, so did the Volador versus Matt Taven match, which came off cold as ice. And you know what? Everybody wants to tell me things are fine, but they drew about five or 600 people in Chicago when they used to draw 17 to 2,000. And that is with a world title match that had a ton of history and a year of build. So everything is not okay with Matt Taven as champion. Roosh has been booked extremely well. He's been treated like a top guy. Hasn't been pinned or submitted. Pretty much feels like the biggest star in the company. And if we're being honest, Matt Taven as the ROH champion has been a failure. And an even bigger blunder considering the whole contract stuff with Jeremy just talked about. Because the whole thing was he's only champion because Marty's contract runs out in the fall. And here, fuckface uh, Mick, uh, whatever is a uh, climax here. You know, his contract is actually up before Marty's. So that shit doesn't even hold water anymore. Again, Marty could have led to better attendance, better interest. Matt Taven's been fine in the ring, but absolutely nobody cares. He doesn't put on matches worthy of the main event, worthy of being the top guy in the promotion. Interest and attendance have been in the free fall. There's absolutely no doubt in my mind that Roosh should win here. Win with ease, win dominantly, and that they should move on. If if it doesn't make dollars, Jeremy, it doesn't make sense, right? And that's the current current state of ROH with Matt Taven as the champion. But despite the fact that all signs point to needing to move on him from champion, I'm sure that Bully Ray and the fucking Lizard Man are going to be cowards here and refuse to make the move. Because they're going to claim that Matt Taven's a real heel that gets real heat in 2019. Which is a bunch of bullshit. He's champion because, like Kenny King, he's the best of what's left in Ring of Honor. The Honor Club girls go crazy for him on the Twitter machine. He amuses middle schoolers with it with juvenile names for his moves, like the climax and just a tip. It's like when I was seven years old and I had this friend who had, who knew like all the naughty words, and like we'd be in the middle of class and the teacher would go into the storage room to get something, and he'd sit there and he'd look at us and go, "Titties." And we'd all laugh because we were fucking seven and it was funny. And then he'd do it again and it wasn't funny because we had already heard it once. That's kind of Matt Taven. But unfortunately, his title run isn't even funny anymore. It's just fucking sad. Like the overall decline in ROH business status and quality in 2019. Take the title off of this motherfucker. Put it on Roosh. I don't even know if you can save the goddamn company at this point. But you have to make a move. You have to have a try. You have to try. And honestly, compared to Matt Taven, Roosh is the best hope. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I, I don't have much more to add. Like we've buried Matt Taven so much on this show that it, it's, it's fruitless at the point. At this point, he's in China. We've dug the hole so deep for him. I don't know if Roosh can save the company. At this point, I, I think 
it's better. It's clearly better if they go with him over Taven. If you go with Taven, you know what you're getting. You're not only staying with a course that is only leading downward. You've effectively killed off a the hottest guy you have in the company at his hottest point. I mean, okay, you can go to Roosh during at a final battle, but like this is his hot point. If you go to him at final battle, he's not going to be hotter than he is right now. Um, and they're doing that tournament for final battle anyway, so I don't even know if you could do that, but it's wrestling. You could do a three-way or some shit. Either way, this is the time to pull the trigger on Roosh. He has an uphill battle if they do pull the trigger with him to, to try to, you know... Uh, save this company I think Roosh's contract is up at the end of the year I think he only signed a one year deal anyway uh, you know WWE is going to be looking to him I think this is honestly if they go with Matt Taven I don't think we're talking about ROH next year I at least not in their own entity That that is my, my bold prediction if Matt Taven retains the title here a year from now ROH is on the WWE network. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's not good. They need to do something. They need to make widespread changes, and it has to start up top because I'm sorry, Matt Taven just didn't do it. And don't give me that shit again that, well, you know, you know like people were claiming, like I brought up like the, the ticket sales, and they're like, well, MLW doesn't do that good. MLW's been selling 2,000 fucking seats in Chicago. And then again, somebody tried to tell me, well, that's because they use Lucha Stars. Well, what the fuck was the Spectacular Tour? You, you, you can't, like, that makes no sense, okay? There's an obvious decline. Ticket sales have gone back to pretty much pre-Bullet Club, pre-New Japan averages. And that's sad. That is pathetic. And yes, you can blame a lot of that on SCU and the Elite guys leaving. But you also have to blame it on ROH not taking the proper steps and not making the right choices. Like Jeremy said, I don't know if Roosh can save the day. I don't know if he's the guy. I don't know if he's the star. But he's been booked like a star and treated like a star. And he feels like way more of an interesting guy than Matt Taven. So, I mean, any and you know what? Maybe he only holds it until final battle because of contract stuff. I don't know. But you got to do something. You got to make a change. You can't be a fucking coward here because business is only going to go down. I don't know if you've seen, Jeremy. They've been, People have been putting up pictures of the ticket sales for this UK shows coming up. Those look fucking dreadful. Nobody's going to these shows. Nobody is going to these shows. And no, no one will go to these shows, honestly. It said a lot that this is also a reflection on Matt Taven's run that the Volador Jr. match should have been one of his bigger matches because there was a good story behind it, and they didn't even feel like they could main event with that match. Yeah. Like it, it not only didn't sell because nothing ROH does is selling at this point, but they as a company felt, we can't even main event with this match. And they didn't main event – um. The, the Alex Shelley match didn't main event either, did it? The the G.O.D. and Briscoe's ladder war Correct. main evented over that. But so, both indictments against his title run. Yeah, like they, they don't even feel like they can main event with this guy. And I'm not saying the world title has to be the main event in every single on every single show because if you build up your world but title enough... But that fucking enough, Volador match had a year build. Yeah, exactly. That That's my point. Like the, the ladder war, okay. 
maybe you can you can main event that over uh, Shelley and, and Taven. The Volador match that's got to be the main event because what what main evented over that Briscoes and and who? I think that was a, a six man with uh, Lifeblood and Villain Enterprises. Okay, well, either way, Volador and Taven should have definitely been the main event over that. Um, So it's it's not good. They're not going to be selling anything. They can put the title on Rouge. It'll help a little bit because I don't not sure. I mean, it can get worse, but I'm not sure it can get worse right now if you if you make this title change. But they're so cold as a company right now. Just just ice ice cold like Impact has more going. And granted, Impact had to buy a, a television station to to get more going, but ROH is just ice cold as a company right now. Their their shows aren't doing well. It's just no one cares about anything. And, you know, this show's coming at a bad time, too. Anything, honestly, everything from the, the time we're recording this to October 1st feels meaningless in wrestling. Because once October 1st hits, then everything changes. Like then you're getting, you know, October 1st is actually a meaningless day because it's it's some random ass Tuesday, the first uh, Tuesday without SmackDown and however long. But, you know, once that day hits, then you got October 2nd with AEW debuting and NXT going two hours uh, on USA with both hours on USA. Then you got October 4th with SmackDown. Then you got the draft. Uh, like October is just off to the races so everything just feels ice cold until october and unfortunately for roh even impact going to access is at the end of october and bound for glory is their big pay-per-view and stuff unfortunately for roh one of their bigger shows because death before dishonor is one of their bigger shows and it is a good card on paper it just feels ice cold because it everything in the wrestling world just feels like it's on pause until october yeah and and again, I wish I had like an easy solution for them, but I'll tell you what, first of all, they need to start this weekend. They need to have a really good pay-per-view. They need to change the title off a of table and put it on Roosh. And then I don't know what exactly the angle would be, but they need to try to shoot some kind of hot angle that gets people talking a little bit. And these the these things together even aren't going to fix the problems, but they would be a start. Because if you have a really good show with a big title change and maybe a hot angle, you can get some people talking. And maybe it won't feel ice cold and maybe it will feel a little more important. But that is just like the beginning though. There there has to be so much done to turn this around. It's like we talk about like ratings and stuff. You can't expect ratings to turn around in one week because... Whatever the ratings of a show are, you know, like a long-lasting show like a Raw or a SmackDown are a product of time. And you can't just undo it in a week or two. So the ROH thing, if it gets turned around, is going to take a lot of time. They can start it this weekend. I don't know if it's too late or not, Jeremy. It might be. It might be all for naught. But you got to at least try. And, I mean, at least I think so. So we'll see what happens. But, um... Like you said, and I said, it's a good card on paper. It'll probably be a really good show. Whether anybody watches or actually cares is a completely different matter. You do need a a title change certainly helps, but we've seen with Impact, like you can have a really great show, and these Impact shows, a lot of their pay per views are like good to to great, and it just it doesn't matter in the end because 
I mean, for them, it was, it was visibility, but ROH has the same visibility problem. No one knows when these fucking shows are on. Um, so you, you need something you do. I, I think a hot angle is more important than a title change here. Cause you can do a title change and, and Roosh will feel like a semi big deal, but he just has the ROH stigma on him to, for right now to where it's like, okay, he won. Cool. Like who is, I guess, he'll face Cobb. Like that's cool, but nothing in ROH feels that big right now. But if you do a hot angle that gets people talking, then it, it means more like a title change is a start. You need something to go along with it. And I agree with you. A hot angle would, would certainly do that. I don't know what they can do though. Like they yeah, tried shooting, like they, they tried shooting the Enzo and cast nonsense and, and that went nowhere. That's obviously not the, the right thing to do. This Shane Taylor thing is, is not the hot angle. And for some reason I have a feeling that's what they think their hot angle is, is Shane Taylor wins. And it's like, Oh, what's he going to do with the television title uh, when he's not under contract and stuff? I think that's what they think their hot angle is. And it's not, it, it isn't, it really isn't. But yeah, I think if you can have that, if you can have a great show, a title change and a hot angle. And again, we, I I have no clue what the hell it would be. I mean, you'd have to get something. CM really Punk. Big. Yeah, there you go. CM Punk comes in and takes out Shane Taylor and restores honor to the television title. That's right. I'm sure somebody's going to report that as news that we said it to. <laughs> Good job, Jeremy. Ringside yeah. news is definitely taking that one up. <laughs> so again, I mean, I'm hoping for the best. I mean, we're not trying to sound like total downers. We want our weights to turn around because... Again, this card is good. There's a lot of good people there, but there's also a lot of damage that has to be undone. So we'll see what happens. I will, of course, have live coverage of the pay-per-view Friday night on the website, and Jeremy and I will be back at some point over the weekend to talk about it. So, uh, again, you're listening to the 411 on Wrestling Podcast. You can follow us on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, YouTube, and, of course, the 411mania.com website. Please make sure to subscribe to our show, share us around on social media. If you have time, leave us a five-star review on iTunes. Jeremy, thank you for your time, brother. Yeah, uh, we'll not be back on Friday night. You wanted me to watch the show live and record right afterwards. What is wrong with you, my friend? I did, because if you loved me, you would. Well, I don't love you that much. I'm sorry. <laughs> Obviously not. I, I love my my Friday night freedom and uh, going out to dinner with my wife a little bit more than you. Sorry, buddy. All right. Well, we'll figure it out going uh, forward. So anyway, thank you guys and have a good week.